This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Nice trip to Dover, was it? Yes, good weekend for for me. We got the the, the double up. Grinsby winning on uh, on Saturday away at Dover. A nice five hundred round uh, mile round trip for myself on the train. But the beauty, the, there's a few better feelings in life when you get a train early and it shaves off like a good seventy minutes of your journey. Which, considering door to door, I went, I travelled for fourteen hours. You know, when you say shaving at 70, 80 minutes off your journey, it's a big win. It feels like a big win. Um, unfortunately, Grimsby got the job done. So nice three points in the bag. Nice trip to Dover. Nice little stadium down there. Um, and yeah, it was a good weekend. How about you? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. Been a working all weekend, but Wednesday one kept the momentum going for a League One playoff push. So all good. Good, good, good. Of course, it was a, a really good weekend again, full of lots of shocks in the Championship, which we're going to dig through over this next hour. Um, as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find across all your usual platforms, and make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. On today's podcast, as always, we'll be breaking down all the key talking points from another busy weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we're going to start that breakdown, George, at Oakwell, where Barnsley recorded back-to-back wins for the first time this season as they beat Middlesbrough. 3-2. Unbelievable, really, to thinking back seven days if we'd have thought that they'd go and, and win in the way they did at Hull in midweek, and then to be freeing up on Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough after about an hour. Um, pretty mind-boggling sort of stats. Um, first time they've managed to name an unchanged 11 in 27 matches, Barnsley. And three wins in four, up to 21 points now off the bottom of the league, and now the up to 22nd, so they are the, the next team closest to safety and this one was all about Bassey who's been absolutely fantastic since he came in him and Domingos Quina have been massive additions for them coming in in January Bassey on loan from Mets um Keener of course from Watford who we've touched on previously he scored the win against QPR a couple of weeks ago now and they've made a massive difference coming into this team they've injected creativity and quality for all Barnsley's faults we know that the biggest problem they've had this season is putting the ball in the back of the net and that's more been because they've not created anything rather than the fact that they're missing sitters, for example, like West Brom. It's more that the, the supply line's not been there without Mowat um, and without Corley Woodrow really being at his best. It's been a struggle for them, definitely. But Bassey and Keener have definitely injected some quality in that final third for them. And as I say, he set up the first goal for, for Anderson to head in. And then, of course, he, he scored the other two. The third, absolutely twisting uh, Dyke Steele's in and out. Sloppy defending, it has to be said, from Middlesbrough for particularly that third goal. Wilder will be going potty, you'd imagine, um, in the way that they sort of gave those goals away. But the the strength as well to hold off Dyke Steele's after he checks back inside and nip it through the legs of Joe Lumley. Just sensational stuff. And I don't think we we really ever gave Barnsley a chance. I'm still sceptical because they've been so bad all season. So three wins in four, it could be a flash in the pan, but it's Without a doubt, the best form they have shown all season long. Yeah, without a doubt. They've really, really come on strong. And like you say, it's remarkable what a difference a week can make. I mean, 
not that long ago, we were sat here talking about them, weren't we? And we we were writing them off, weren't we? We were considering that Derby were going to be the only side of the current bottom three that were going to stand any sort of chance of getting out of it. And all of a sudden, Barnsley have, have found a little bit of momentum, as you say, three wins in the last four games. It's two wins in a row, uh, back-to-back home wins. And all of a sudden, the, the picture looks promising. I mean, they've still got a six-point gap to claw back, but they do have a game in hand on Reading. Obviously, they've got to win that one to to bolster their chances. But there was really encouraging signs on Saturday, what we saw against Borough. And it was a result that came completely out of nowhere. Nobody predicted it. I'd got Middlesbrough as my, as my banker for last weekend. And Barnsley, inspired really by Bassey, were, were all over Middlesbrough for much of the game. And they played really, really well. They created chances. And like you say, three goals as well. Scoring, obviously, has been such an issue for Barnsley this season. And to follow it up, obviously, the victory at Hull, which... Also, I thought came as a surprise, even though Hull obviously haven't been the, the best of form themselves of late. So, a really, really big lift for Poyer Asbargi and one he desperately needed because he must have been thinking, what on earth was that first wing going to arrive? And all of a sudden, he's won three of the last four. So, really encouraging signs of Barnsley. I think it's important not to get too carried away. Like you say, it could prove to be a flash in the pan considering they've won five all season, I think it is. So, I think it is important not to get too carried away. But having said that, though, they're six points from safety. There's still plenty of football to be played. That they have got to be considered as genuine, genuinely with a chance. And if they do, I think it will be one of the biggest comebacks in terms of what we've seen from a side that's been rock bottom all season to get out of it. Would it be a bigger comeback than the um, great escape under Struber? I think so because I think they've been worse. I think they've been worse um, this they've year. Definitely been worse oh. by a long, long way. Like, like you've said, they, they've struggled to put the ball in the net. I haven't got the stats to to hand on what that season was like from memory. Um, well, there were seven it, points. But... There were seven points adrift of safety when uh, we came back from Obviously. lockdown with about seven games to go. But they were playing better football, weren't they, throughout the season? So I, I, think so. I would argue that this this year would be a much bigger achievement, and it would be interesting to check at the the stage of the season where we're at, or where Barnsley were at when they were last bottom of the pile a couple of weeks ago who was the last team to be bottom at that stage and get out of it. So it'd be a hell of an achievement if they do it. So full credit to Barnsley, full credit to Poyeraz Bargi. And let's let's not forget about it. They've beaten a really good Middlesbrough side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And it is two defeats in a row now on the road for Borough though. So the away form not quite living up to the, the fantastic home form, which obviously they, they made seven in a row in midweek by coming back from behind to beat West Brom. There's definitely been a, a drop in level, I think, over the last week for West, uh, for Middlesbrough, but be it the one in midweek, I still think going 1-0 behind, they, they're not at the fluent best, certainly not as good as they were before in the earlier weeks under Wilder, but that's not too much of a concern, but they need to find a way of picking up points away from home in particular, um, especially given how tight the playoff race is. So they, they can't afford to be dropping points, and hopefully from a, from a Middlesbrough point of view, they'll address that away from in the next few games. Massive game coming up for Barnsley next. They've got Derby next, which when they're chasing Reading, and Reading are, what, five points in front now after the, their winning midweek against Birmingham, I think whoever wins that probably is going to have the best chance of catching Derby, uh, catching Reading, sorry. A draw a draw would be pretty awful for both teams, really. So, someone's got to win that. That's at uh, Pride Park as well. Yeah, it's a huge game, isn't it? And it, it really could be, as you say, it could be defined in the, in the battle to catch Reading. I know... Uh, obviously, we're looking ahead to, to the weekend's fixtures. Derby, if you're listening before Tuesday, play on Tuesday night against Cardiff City. 
So it, it really could depend on what sort of mood Wayne Rooney's team are in ahead of that game because obviously they've stumbled a little bit recently and lost the momentum they had. So, like I say, it's going to be a huge game for both sides next weekend. It could be a defining one in the, in the relegation shakeup. Absolutely. Peter Brunil, Hull City free. Big win for Hull, only five points collected from their previous seven games. And after a midweek defeat to Barnsley, you can imagine why the pressure was so high going into this game. And of course, the football narrative gods had set this one up perfectly. Grant McCann in the opposing dugout after replacing Darren Ferguson. His first game, Hull City, of course. Um, but it was an unhappy homecoming for the new posh boss. Tyler Smith got his first goal for the club. I have to say I've been really unconvinced by him since when in the bits I've seen of him. But he took his goal nice and maybe we'll see a bit of confidence come into him. Now he's got that first goal, which will be a huge relief for him. And then Keen Lewis Potter show why he's the best player on the pitch from those two teams. Showing his class uh, with the, the first goal of his, the second in total. A beauty from the edge of the area, curled into the bottom corner. And then a death finish for the third. Peterborough just don't have that same quality, um, the same star quality in their 11, especially now Suriki Dembele's moved on to Bournemouth. And this was just a massive win for Hull because they've not scored many goals since they made the relatively controversial change to get rid of McCann. Um, they've only picked up, let's say, five points from their last seven games prior to the win at London Road. And when you lose 2-0 at home to Barnsley and don't even score against Barnsley, it, it's understandable why alarm bells would be ringing. But Keane Lewis Potter showing his, his quality and getting them a, an all-important victory. Yeah, he did exactly that, didn't he? When they needed the talisman to step up, he did it and produced two really well-executed goals. And we've said, haven't we, throughout this season that if Huller are going to be in need of somebody to provide a spark. He's going to be the man and he's done it again. I think it's eight goals and four assists now, 12 direct contributions. Not a bad return really for a young player still learning his trade. And obviously after that defeat to Barnsley in midweek, it was a result that they desperately, desperately needed. But I'll be honest, I, I felt Peter going into that game, we're going to come out on top, new manager bounce and, and things like that. And obviously the story of Grant McCann being up against his old side for his first game in charge of Peter, but Hull went there and produced a very efficient away performance. And it should be one now that hopefully kicks them back into the right direction. They've got West Brom at home next. Obviously, the Baggies have been in dreadful form away from home in recent months. So there's no reason why they won't be looking ahead to that one with an eye on a victory. But it's important at the same time that they don't get too carried away. It's one win in seven games. So there's a bit of perspective needed that Hull obviously have been mega struggling in recent months. So... It's a, it's a step in the right direction, but it's one of those where you don't want to get too carried away. They've played with respect against a team that are right at the bottom of the league, been struggling all season, leaking goals all season. So you need perspective in that sense. But at the end of the day, Hull City went to Peterborough with a, with a game plan and got the job done. 3-0, clean sheet, three points, job done. So well done to them and, and a mighty relief for, for the new manager who, after a bit of a shaky start, we're hoping that this is a turning point. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Peterborough and obviously that change in the dugout that we alluded to, which happened um, last Monday, well, in terms of getting rid of Ferguson and then McCann getting appointed later in the week, I do think that this gives them a better chance of survival in my in my mind. I think it's a good appointment because you have to say they've got to have one eye on if they get relegated. But I still think McCann's proven himself that he can definitely be competitive at championship level in the bottom third of the table. And I think it's it's a better fit. I think... He has more pedigree, certainly, at this level for me. You know, if you look at his overall career in the Championship, 
He had a very good first half of season with Hull. Obviously, things then he had an absolutely like zero out of ten second half of that season. And then he's probably had a, a five out of ten, six out of ten for the first half of this. So overall, I, I would say he's been net positive in the championship, albeit the, the the dramatic fall away for the relegation is what sticks in everyone's mind. But he's had two half campaigns that have been pretty good and just one absolutely horrific half of campaign in which his best two plays were sold from underneath him on deadline day. But even so, that they did perform horrifically for 20 matches. So I think it's a better appointment. I think it gives you a better chance of staying up. I think obviously they've also got an eye on League One next season as the man that, that most recently won the League One title. But he's got to find a way of either getting them to score goals or stop them conceding goals because nobody's conceded more goals in the championship and nobody scored less. And that is a re- re- recipe for relegation and a bit of a disaster. It sounds a little bit um, attritional to be saying this, but they need to score more goals and concede less. That is my cutting-edge analysis. But they've got to do one or the other because we knew we knew that Peterborough would concede a lot of goals coming into this season. But we also thought they might score a lot of goals and therefore be okay. If you're doing neither, you're in massive, massive trouble. And I know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that one out. Yeah, you're right. And and to be fair, Peter have always been renowned as that sort of team that will entertain you with a lot of goals at both ends of the pitch. They've been like it for donkey's years. It, it's one that sticks out in my mind. But looking at their, their run of results now, they've won one game since the 23rd of October. It's absolutely horrific when you look at it on the face of it. So Darren Ferguson, I think personally... Obviously, did a terrific job in getting them back to the championship. They'd been out of the out of the second tier for eight years, so he did well to get them back up. They really did well in League One last year. It must be said as well. But it was clear for ages that they weren't going anywhere under him, and they were in deep trouble and remaining it. Personally, I think they have appointed Grant McCann with a a very large eye on playing League One football next season. So well, I still, I, st- I, I agree with you, but I don't think there was anyone else out there. No, I don't. That I they don't could have appointed that would have been a better appointment that probably would not. have only managed them but, in the championship per se. But I don't think personally, even though the championship has proven with Barnsley's recent results how things quickly can change and the outlook can change, I don't think Peterborough are going to have what it takes to get out of it, regardless of who would be in charge. I think it would take an yeah. almighty shift. In change, obviously, it's not impossible. Nothing's impossible in this league, but from what I've seen over, you know, the best the last three and a half, four months, that I've not seen any signs that Peterborough are going to get out of this because, like you say, they are leaking goals for fun. They don't score anywhere near enough. I mean, they've scored one goal since the twenty fifth of January. It's March in in two days' time as we record, so it just proves that for the players that they've got as well at the top end of the pitch, they should be doing a hell of a lot better. And for whatever reason, it's just not happened. So Grant McCann, he's, he's going to have to undertake a very big job in a very short amount of time if they are to survive. But personally, I think looking ahead long-term, sorry, Peter fans, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, what's he on about? We've still got a chance. You have got a chance. But I do think it looks as though they are preparing for life in League One already, which is a great shame after eight years of waiting to get back, to be heading back almost immediately. I don't think they're necessarily preparing for it by appointing Grant McCann. I do think they're going to be in League One because I don't think they're very good at football. As I say, they don't score many goals and they concede a lot. So I don't think they're going to stay up by any means. But I don't think that that appointing Grant McCann means that they're resigned to that in the dressing room and in the boardroom either because I don't think there was anyone else really that would have made more logical sense 
or been more ambitious. I don't think there was a more ambitious manager they could have tried to recruit, really, for, for their budget. They pro- well, probably got the third lowest budget in the league or something like that. So I, I think it's a good appointment, and I think he's got a better chance of keeping them up than they had under Darren Ferguson. Bournemouth 2, Stoke City 1. Um, I'm going to start this by saying that was never, ever, 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 ever a red card in a million years for Morgan Fox, and that was the turning point in this game. So I would like, at the end of the season... Bournemouth to have a little asterisk next to their points total and it said um, plus three because of shit refereeing because that was never a red card in a million years. Incredibly harsh. Chris Metham's tackle was just as bad, which on Jacob Brown, also not a red card, just to be abundantly clear, but not that different, but definitely not. Neither of them are red cards. He plays the ball. Yes, I know it's not enough to just play the ball nowadays, but his foot's on the floor. He's not two-footed. He's not come flying in at an unbelievable pace. He's not caught him high. He's literally nicked him on about his, his ankle bone, if that, if not a bit lower. One-footed. It's never a red card. It's not even a foul. So I, I'm, I'm not having that at all. And I, I have to say this completely. It was the changing point because Stoke, up until that red card, were the better team. They created good chances. Really nice finish from Tommy Smith for the goal. Quite weird that... His last goal came against Bournemouth in this fixture last season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good fight back from Bournemouth. Of course it is. It's really good resilience to get back into the game with the two late goals. So Lanky and Jamal Lowe forcing his way in for a start, given the abundance of players that Bournemouth signed in January. I think a lot of people probably thought that Jamal Lowe's minutes would be sacrificed for some of the new signings. But he came into the team on the right wing and he got the all-important goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bournemouth are really starting to gather some momentum again, aren't they? And they seem to have been under the radar a little bit, Bournemouth. We don't seem to have touched on them a lot recently because they've had quite a few games called off and things like that. Obviously, the Forest game a week ago was called off due to the weather and it seemed like an age since they were last in action because they had the FA Cup as well in, in uh, at the beginning of this month. So they've not really played an awful lot recently. But they are beginning to turn the screw again. They've won four of the last six now. They've won four in, uh, four of the last eight, I should say. They've won the last four in a row. They're scoring goals. And like you said, they seem to have discovered a new hero in Jamal Lowe. After a manic deadline day, you wouldn't have thought would have much of a chance. But he's, he's proven his weight in goal at the minute and doing the business that Scott Parker expects of him. But this game could have quite easily ended level. I mean, Stoke, like you say, up until the red card, were by far the better team. They created a hatful of chances. Uh, the ball was pinballing around the Bournemouth box right at the end as they pushed for an equaliser. So, Bournemouth, I think, can consider themselves fortunate to have won the game, but they stood firm defensively when the pressure was piled on and, and they found the important goals that they needed. So, they, they've displayed the credentials of teams that are going for promotion. It's what you expect of teams of that nature. So, Scott Parker has seemingly got his players fighting for absolutely everything and fighting to the death. Obviously, they won late on at uh, Blackpool in the last game that they played. So it proves that he's got the mentality there and, and the work ethic and everything like that. So Bournemouth coming strong at just the right time because obviously the, the chasing pack behind them who just continue to in, interchange week in, week out. It's becoming a crazy race. So Bournemouth just keeping that pressure on and the luxury for them is obviously they've got to make the most of them. They've got a lot of games in hands on the uh, on the teams behind them, four, four ahead of Huddersfield in terms of games in hand. So they've got a chance and... If they make the most of those games, it is hard to see them not making the top two because they are beginning to come on strong again like they were at the start of the campaign. I think Fulham and Bournemouth are the best two teams in the division and they'll finish in the top two. I'm more, as a, as a neutral, yeah, I'm more invested in that playoff race, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. 
I'm glad that Stoke didn't draw because I've wanted to touch on them for for a few weeks now, but they kept drawing. But unfortunately, everything I've got to say is sort of irrespective of Saturday's result because I actually thought they were really good at Bournemouth and I thought they were massively unlucky to, to come away with a defeat. Even with 10 men at the end, they, they had chances, Stephen Fletcher's header and Josh Mazur as well, a few opportunities. But on the whole for, for Stoke, they have massively fallen away and their form since November has been pretty awful, if we're being honest. It's the second season in a row where we've seen under Michael O'Neill where they start strong. You think they're going to finish in the playoffs or certainly be up there between fifth and eighth. And then they massively fall into mid-table. Now, last season, you could point to Tyrese Campbell's injury and say, yeah, that's pretty season-defining, if we're honest, because he was by far their star attacker and he does his ACL. Massive problem. But this season, I don't think they've got that excuse. Yes, Harry Suit has done his ACL and he's out. Yes, Nick Powell's been missing for large portions of the season. But they've got replacements. They've got players that can play there. They've got an abundance of attacking players and midfield players when you think they've got Baker, Klukas, um, Joe Allen, Thompson, uh, Vrancic, Romain Sawyers, although I know he's been out for two or three months now. And then in defence, Harwood Bellis, Jagielka coming in January. You let Ostergaard go, which I still think is a weird decision because I thought he was, albeit he wasn't quite in the heights we'd seen previously at Coventry. I still think he's better than probably Jagielka at this level, although Jagielka's had a very good season. I still think I'd rather pick Ostergaard if, if I was choosing a defence. Ben Wilmot. This squad is underachieving. It really isn't. I really like Michael O'Neill, but I can't turn a blind eye that for the second season in a row, they have massively dipped off at the same point near January and the form has fallen off an absolute cliff. For this squad to be 15th, 10 points off the top six, that is a massive under underachievement for where they are at the minute. They have had injuries, but this season in particular, they've got replacements. They've got other people who can fill those voids. So I'm not really having the injuries this year. I, I agreed with it last year and I understood how it massively affected them. They didn't have a match winner. They've got Maja. They've got Campbell. They've got Fletcher. They've got Jacob Brown. They've got so many good players that can win games for them still. And they've just massively fallen off a cliff again. And it's too similar a trend and, and very literally very similar in the same time they've fallen off a cliff. And it's just a bit weird. And I say I like Mark, Michael O'Neill. And I'm not saying that he should be sacked, but I do think he should be under some pressure because I think that this squad, it's not unreasonable to, to expect them to be. I'm not saying that they have to be in the top six, but they shouldn't be 10 points adrift in 15th. If they were eighth and a couple of points away, yeah, that's fine. Fair enough. That's about where I'd put them. Anywhere between fifth and 10th, I think is relatively realistic. 15th and 10 points away from the playoffs in late February is a massive underachievement for me. And I think there should be some pressure and a little bit of scrutiny applied. Yeah, I agree. The slump has kicked in at the same time, hasn't it? And I've just been looking at some stats around Stoke. And since they beat QPR on the 5th of December, 2-0 away from home, that lifted them into the top six. They've only won twice since then. And we're recording this on the 27th of February. So they've gone, they've gone nearly three months by only winning two league games. That is a real concern. And... I think another thing that I've noticed now that I'm beginning to pick up on, and obviously we mentioned about the game on Saturday, obviously the red card changed everything, but you think about it, against Bournemouth, they were leading the game. Against Birmingham, they were in front. Against Forest, they were in front. They've won none of them. So that, is, that has got to be an issue where they are letting leads slip. 
and not getting over the line. But the home form has been a real worry as well. The home really form has been horrific. I think it's two wins, won, two wins since October one, or early they've November. Won, they've won one home game since beating Peterborough on the 20th of November. Yeah, and that was so against that was Swansea. Thinking. So they are really struggling. But I mean, obviously, they since we last spoke on on all things Championship, obviously Luton beat Stoke, didn't they, in midweek? That was another game where you would have thought at home, with respect to Luton, obviously doing very well, Stoke should have given them more of a going over and obviously they only netted a late consolation in that one. Nathan so Jones' it is match press conference was absolutely brilliant in that. Battle. Really? I've not seen it, I must admit. Oh, is it worth on, catching up on? It. Go and watch it. I'll yeah. have, to, I'll really have to catch up. But no, I, mean, I think for Stoke, like you said, the slump is setting at the exact same time and they are really, really falling away now. And like I say, two wins in three months is just an horrendous, horrendous record. But uh, to try and keep hold of the positives, you've got to look at their next few games. Blackpool at home, Barnsley away, Peterborough away, Cardiff away, Millwall at home. It's it's games with respect that they should be targeting at least probably nine, ten points from at the very least. So they've really got to try and get things right. And like you said, they have been marginally better away from home and three of the next five are on the road. So... It might have come at the right time for them, but like you say, I think Michael O'Neill does deserve to be under a sense of pressure, but I don't think it would be the right call to sack him because I don't think anybody else at this stage of the season would go and improve things vastly to get them what they want. I still think they are a bit in that transitional period of him building what he wants. I but just I think don't know what their best 11 this, is. I feel like the this coming huge. summer is the, is the last chance for him to, to try and mould something together. Like you say, like you say though, the squad is big. There is a lot of options. And yeah, they've been unlucky with injuries. They have to key personnel. But they've got adequate backups to, to fill the places. And it's just not clicked for them. And I mean, one win, I think it is now in the last eight games. It's really bad for a side that obviously has got genuine ambitions of getting promoted and have chucked a lot of money at it in the last few years. I don't like saying these things because I really like Michael O'Neill. But if this was, if this was a different manager... We'd be saying he should be sacked with the reinf- with the, the the reinforcements they've got. And I have to, I just want to reiterate, this is not a reflection on the weekend game because I thought they were really good actually at Bournemouth. But this is clearly a, a couple of months run of form that we we have to address. Um, yeah, I think if this was another manager, I think we'd be applying more pressure. I think fans would be. But then I suppose from the Stoke fans' point of view, they've had that many managers that have gone in and seen it's rotten and it, it, they've struggled to get anything out of this squad that. Maybe the blame isn't always with the manager. I still think that they should be doing better for the squad that they've got. Birmingham nil, Huddersfield Town 2. An absolutely colossal week for Huddersfield Town. Nine points collected in seven days. And in every single one of these victories, they've showed a little bit of something different in terms of promotion credentials. Go away and beat one of the best teams in the league. Check. Come from behind against a mid-table team at home that you're expected to beat. Show the resilience and and determination to get over the line, check. Comfortable 2-0 away, win an out-of-form team, barely breaking sweat and comfortably getting the victory, check. Uh, This is the first week where I thought Huddersfield Town might actually get promoted. This team is now reminding me a lot of the David Wagner side that went up with a a goal difference of zero. Um, 17 games unbeaten. And they were dominant in this game. I have to say there was some very bad def- Birmingham defending, which helped them, particularly for Lewis O'Brien's second. But th- you've got to admire what they're doing. And I know we'd, we raved about them last week, but you know they picked up six more points since then, so they deserve another, <laughs> another session of raving about them. 
Um, they changed the team up too. So it's not like if they get one injury, they might all fall apart. You know, Levi Colwell's been out for probably six or six to seven weeks now. He came back into the team on his 19th birthday and opened the scoring. Jordan Rhodes came in for Danny Ward up front and still had an impact. And also very intelligent header uh, for the equaliser in midweek as well for Josh Caroma. And as I say, they're starting to really grind out results. And I think when they first started up this unbeaten run and they were about 10 unbeaten, there was about six draws in there. So I was probably a little bit flippant about that. But to now be 17 unbeaten, that's that's another level for me, especially when you consider certainly in the last eight games, there's been a lot of wins in that run. So I'm really, really impressed. For uh, John Russell, again, was immense. He was really good in the recent draw against Sheffield United. He's been a really good... Um, acquisition, like if you like, he came from the Chelsea Academy, been brought through by Corberan, and he's been bedded into the team in the last sort of month to six weeks, and he's been really, really impressive. Really tall and gangly, a little bit more like a, a more mobile and taller Jonathan Hogg, but away from home, Hogg and Russell with O'Brien playing as a more advanced uh, midfielder, it works, and it makes them solid, and the, the transformation defensively is unbelievable, which I know we touched on last season, but this is the first week where I've genuinely thought Huddersfield Town are going really good guns. It would be now probably more of a shock if they didn't get the top six than if they did. And I've not felt like that all season. Yeah, I think now is the time to accept that they are genuinely in this race. I think for the last few weeks, I've certainly been thinking, yeah, today's the day that they're going to drop off. Today's the game where they're going to start to fall away and they're going to start and come unstuck. You can't think like that anymore. This week, like you've said, has displayed a little bit of everything in in every possible way. And to go to Birmingham and perform so comfortably, they didn't even have to get out of second gear, did they really? They just coasted the way, got the job done, clean sheet, on we go, up to third. But to have gone 17 games unbeaten in League and Cup is a phenomenal achievement for any side. Don't matter what league you're playing, 17 unbeaten is remarkable and Carlos Corbran deserves a huge, huge amount of credit. And obviously a few, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, we were waxing lyrical about what Forrest were doing, how Blackburn have been doing, QPR have been doing, and we were discussing who could get manager of the season. Carlos Corbran now is right into that equation for that award, without a doubt, go up or not. Because we were obviously so critical of the transfers that they completed last summer. We were very uninspired by it. But they have, to a man, been outstanding, every single one of them. They just play as such a collective unit. The fans are obviously so engaged with them again now. And there was the Huddersfield, since they dropped out of the Premier League, they've had to they've had to ride a few waves, haven't they? They've had a few seasons of disappointment and misery and not too much to shout to about. Massively rebuild that squad and play the wage and, wage bill. And it's that rebuild, like I said, with Carlos Corbran. It's got to be given time, you've got to be patient, and it's now the patience is paying off completely and I really do, like you, I think they've got a genuine chance of going up and the beauty of this playoff race is I could not sit here now and tell you who the hell is going to win this. I couldn't tell you. I think no. it's impossible. Even if we even if we got to the playoff final and got to, I don't know, Blackburn and Sheffield United, for example, I, could, I couldn't tell you. This is an absolutely thrilling race. It's gripping, certainly for us two as, as neutrals to every team in the division. So it's going to be a, a great thing to watch. But for Huddersfield, I mean... Even if they don't finish in the top six, even if they slide out of it somehow, I don't think they will now. I think they are there to stay. But it's been a remarkable season for them. And like I say, 17 unbeaten. It's outstanding. It really is. And Peterborough up next at home on Friday night. They'll be targeting another three points from that one, that's for sure. 
Yeah, they have played the most games compared to the teams around them, but it's points on the board that you need. Games exactly. In hand are, they've, they've... Games in hand are all good and well, but you need points on You've the board. You've got to make the most of them. Yeah. In Birmingham's defence, um, they don't have one because everyone's injured. <laughs> And that that we can't really it shouldn't be it shouldn't be glossed over too much. They've got no defenders. Maxime Collin went off injured. He's already playing centre back when he's really not a centre back. He went off injured. Gary uh, Gary Gardner had to play at centre half. That's obviously not his position, and and he didn't adapt brilliantly. If we're being honest, they've got real issues at the back in terms of personnel. So that is hamstringing them, and they do still look better going forward. So they're in a bit of a nothingness state, Birmingham. But I do think that. I don't know how the defence would cope when they've got their best defence back because I do think their attacking options now after January are much better and they do look better going forward. Millwall yeah, won... I was just going to say, Tahiti Chong coming back as well, huge boost. It he will got, be. On some, got some minutes on Saturday, played for the under-23s today and scored, so that's a step in the right direction for Lee Bowie, but obviously he's said it's going to take time for him to get up to speed again, but huge boost at a timely, timely point in the season. Millwall 1, Sheffield United 0, or should we call this the Jake Cooper derby? Um, a bump in the road for United after their very dramatic win over Blackburn Rovers in midweek. And Jake Cooper, obviously, five goals. He scored five goals in seven matches against the Blades. That's, he loves it. He's a centre-half. What, what's he doing? Um, <laughs> but he's got a brilliant record, and this proved to be the only goal of the game. Sheffield United not quite at it. Surprised to see Morgan Gibbs-White on the bench. I, I found Heckingbottom quite... He likes to tinker, doesn't he? He likes to... He, every game, you're looking at three or four changes. And I think now you clearly know his best team. I think I, I don't really see any excuse for Morgan Gibbs-White being on that bench at any point unless he's injured, which obviously wasn't. Um, so, yeah, that was a surprise for me. He came on. He did have a bit of a half chance, but nothing major. And it's the fourth win in a row for Millwall, which is their best run of the season by far. They defended well. They've only conceded two goals at home in 2022, which to say we're two months in is, is very impressive. And they're quietly coming into a bit of form and certainly blunted the edge of a very what has been a very sharp blade for Sheffield United. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I kind of saw this one coming, to be honest with you. Millwall have been been going about things under the radar of late. They've been keeping things tight, keeping things neat and just getting the job done and Four wins in a row now for the first time in almost four years at this level. And it's it's encouraging signs for Gary Rowett. Because, you know, I've always said for Millwall, they're just that they're that one step off taking that big next giant stride to where, where the club can go. And obviously, there's a, I think a playoff, a playoff push is out of the question. I don't, I don't think they've got what it takes to sneak in there. Either. It can't be considered as definitely ruled out, but I can't see it. But they're really coming into some good form now. And I think it has gone under the radar and they deserve credit. So... Really well done to them. Obviously, Sheffield United have been flying of late, so to have kept a clean sheet against them and got the job done is another impressive string to their bow. And and like I say, it's five wins in seven, four in a row, four clean sheets, and that's five at home. Things are making pretty good viewing for Millwall now, and and similar to Huddersfield, they, they're finding a way to get those wins. Obviously, they won at Derby in midweek, they beat QPR recently two 0 uh, and beat Cardiff two one. So they're not they're not hammering anybody. They're just being efficient and finding a way to win and. And that's what you need. And obviously Millwall this season, they've been a bit hit and miss, as they so often usually are. A lot of draws thrown in there. But overall, I mean, at the minute, it's it's impossible to fault them. Going really, really well. And Gary Rowett will just be hoping for a strongest possible um, end to the season as possible. But the playoffs not a million miles away, but I just, just don't think they'll quite have the edge on the others around them. 
No, I think when it's this competitive, we've seen Millwall not be able to breach the top six with perhaps weaker opponents in and around them. And I don't think the squad is miles stronger than it has been in previous years either. So that would be a, a big shock for me. Blackburn Rovers won at QPR nil. This was a really, really big win for Blackburn, who, after the disappointment of midweek, the, that, it was a real emotional game, that game at Sheffield United, obviously. The, the scenes from a jubilation point of view for Sheffield United, saving the penalty, 10 men, last-minute winner. And Blackburn, obviously, the complete opposite of that. So, after about, you know, probably the poorest run of form for a few months, not scoring in five matches um, prior to the weekend... Missing Ben Brereton Diaz with an ankle injury to get this win against the top six rival, it's a really big one for because I think a lot of people have been wet, so will probably have been waiting for Blackburn to oh here we go this is where they drop out the playoffs you know this is where the form falls off and, and they finish just outside. This was a big reminder of the quality they do possess because they showed they had good opportunities before getting the winner. Um, Kadri with a one on one beforehand, good save by Semi Dieng and. With other people in form, as I say, I think a lot of people will expect Blackburn to fall away when you've got probably more sexy teams or in terms of Forest and Middlesbrough and Sheffield United, perhaps. But Blackburn have got a lot of quality in this team and without, um, without as I say, Ben Brereton Diaz, not scoring in five. Tyrese Dolan came into the team for this one, who's someone I really like. It was a good win for them and one that Tony Mowbray, you know, he, he said in his post-match interview, he feels like the performances have certainly been better than the, the points tally. They got over the line in this one, which was a really big win. They did, and it was one they had to win. And I was looking at some of the stats the other day, and I, I thought that this promotion push of Blackburn is is falling off a cliff quite rapidly. Two goals they'd scored in nine games, one winning seven, five without a win, and you thought to yourself, this is this is rapidly losing losing shape now after how well they'd done. But then I thought back and thought if that penalty had gone in against Sheffield United and they'd won that game, it would have been a completely different story. And it was quite a big game, obviously, wasn't it, against QPR at the weekend? Obviously, both sides scrapping for the same thing. And, and Blackburn, I thought, were full value for it. They should have been ahead in the first half. Cadra had a really good opportunity, went in one-on-one and couldn't quite take it. But boy, did he make up for it. Superb free kick. It was it was a really moment of individual is it, is brilliance. It, is it a super David Marshall, free kick? Or I think David so. Marshall, Marshall do a lot he better. should have done better. He should have done better without any shadow of a doubt. But I think, he's, he, put it this way, he got some bloody good whip on the ball, didn't he? And he did. It's, it's a, a really good, good finish. It's a good goal from his point of view, as you say. But I, yeah, I but think Marshall my goal, I, I would want to know yeah, why, yeah. why my goalkeeper's flopped at that. Yeah, I agree. But for Blackburn, like you say, it was a it was a big win. One that they desperately needed. Because they've, they've struggled of late. And the, the fact that the goals had dried up was the biggest concern for me. It wasn't that they were not winning games. It was the fact that they were going so long without scoring. To say, obviously, how frequent the goals had been flowing until recently. So, they're right in the thick of it. I mean, they're fourth in the table. They're two off Huddersfield. Got a game in hand on Huddersfield. Yeah, they're just continuing to tick on. They've had a little bit of a sticky patch, but this game could be a turning point to get them back on track. And they're certainly firmly in the playoff shake-up. They've got a five-point gap, uh, four-point gap on Sheffield United in seventh. So, a lot of football to be played, a lot of work still to be done, but Blackburn in a healthy position to continue doing what they've been doing all season. QPR in a little bit of, sticky, of a sticky patch. One win in six in all competitions. Goals What's have dried up. Yeah, goals have, goal have dri- goals have dried up away from home in particular. Four blanks in a row. As we've already touched on, David Marshall coming on as a sub for Dieng and, and in my eyes, making a, a bit of an error for the winning goal. I also thought he probably should have done better with Keener's goal against Barnsley. So he has been a he has, he's pulled off some really good saves, Marshall. I do think he's been a good signing for QPR. 
but I can't get away from the fact that that's two goals in the you know in the last few games that I think he should have done better on, which proved decisive. Cardiff nil, Fulham one. This is pretty an understated win for Fulham, but this is the way they like to do it. Four away wins on the spin and another one niller, which obviously happened against Hull recently. Obviously, Mitrovic scored. Nice corner kick routine. Header at the back post. Really good goal for them. <laughs> Cardiff had uh, had some chances at 0-0. And you can you can get at Fulham. I do think there's ways to get at Fulham. We saw that with, uh, with Huddersfield last week. But Fulham control the ball so well and hold possession that, and sustain attacks that those opportunities to get at them are very few and far between. They, they are a little bit like Manchester City for the championship in the way that you can sort of get at Man City's defence if you counter-attack well and quick and your passes through the press are, are good enough. And Fulham control the ball so well that it's very similar. I'm not saying Fulham Manchester City, quite obviously. But Cardiff had chances. But if, you, if you're if you not going to take them and you've got, you've got to be really ruthless to beat them, as Huddersfield were, because Fulham are excellent and they just hold so much of the ball. Really good win for them. Um, but that said, um, Perry and G should definitely have been sent off for for the the elbow on Ivan Cavallero. That that deserves some retrospective action because there was no need for it. And he sees him coming and just whacks him with his elbow in the face. So that, that needs to be dealt with, in my opinion. And I also thought Fulham should have had a, a clear handball for uh, Aidan Front's handball. Yeah, Fulham could count themselves a little bit hard done by refereeing decisions, to be honest with you. Quite right, NG. How on earth he's escaped that, I really don't know. Obviously, Marco Silva was furious on the bench, and rightfully so. It was it was just completely needless. There was no need for it whatsoever. And somehow the referees not felt enough to send him off. So that was that. But Fulham get the job done, don't they? They just march on. Mitrovic now, I think just two goals away from the record in terms of direct goal contributions in a single championship season. I think the record's 42. I think he needs two now to smash that record. Obviously, he smashed the record for the most goals in the championship season. But if he wants to go for the lot in terms of goal contributions, he needs two more and he's going to get it, isn't it? It's not even worth rowing about. He's going to get it. He's, he's on fire. But just a little bit concerned about Fulham in the minute, must be honest. Four goals in a week. Standards are slipping. Mm, clearly. It's, uh, it's not good enough. By their four, four goals in three games. Disgraceful. Mm. Yeah, but they're just continuing Redding to do what they're doing. Reading wish uh, that they'd done that earlier in the season. And Bristol City, Birmingham, Blackburn. Oh, half the league. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but no, routine away win, job done. Three points closer to the target, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Luton Town at one, Derby County nil. As we were talking about with Huddersfield, massive week for Luton as well. You went very big on them last week and they now have six more points, so I'm excited to see what your verdict is now. Um, for me, the, the most encouraging thing, Danny Hilton getting on the score sheet because it's another goal scoring. If you were probably being critical of Luton and where they might fall down in terms of a top six push, it would be, do they have enough goal scorers outside of Adebayo to get them in the top six? Cornick's won a little bit cold and not been in the team recently. Cameron Jerome is getting on is probably a pleasant way of putting it. Um, but Hilton's got had one goal this season prior to this week and then back-to-back winning goals in this game and uh, obviously in the midweek win at Stoke as well. So really big week for him and for Luton and they're just earning plaudits and plaudits time after time. Lowest budget in the division um, and now into the top six. Yeah, and fully deserves to be as well. I mean, 2022, things have just been terrific for them in, in League and Cup. I've got some stats here. 
13 games played this calendar year, won 10, drawn one, lost two, 25 points are a possible 33. They've gone up eight league positions since the start of the year. They are really coming on strong and in what is a wide open race, they have to be considered as genuine contenders. And the, the good thing for Luton is, and obviously games in hand, like you said, you've got to win them to make them count. Nobody beneath them has got any games in hand on them. Luton have got games in hand on Huddersfield, Blackburn and QPR as well. So they've got to be considered seriously now. It's It has reached the stage where they are proving that they are there to stay. They've got a terrific run of form behind them. And they're doing really, really well. And it's quite remarkable that speaking to a couple of Sheffield United fans not long ago, they've said they were arguably the worst side that had been to Bramall Lane this season when they went there in January. And look at how they've bounced back from that. It's been a terrific run. And Nathan Jones could just continues to defy expectations. And in the grand scheme of things, when you think where Luton were four or five years ago, playing in the conference, it's an unbelievable turnaround. I, and I saw they a were... stat today that 10 years ago to this day, so 20th of February, they lost 2-0 at Braintree in the, uh, in the National League. It goes to show, doesn't it? It's unbelievable. And it's another one where, obviously, at the start of the season, we were... We were kind of purring a hell of a lot, weren't we, over Coventry and what they were doing. I think Luton's now taken picked up the baton from them and kind of being the fairy tale story of the season. And when you think about it, back in back in August, if you'd have thought as we enter March that the the teams in the playoffs would be Huddersfield Town, Blackburn Rovers, QPR, and Luton Town, who are QPR? Have that's literally it. QPR is probably the only one that you would have definitely considered. That is unbelievable. It just proves how bonkers this league is. And I'll tell you what, the coming weeks, coming months are going to be absolutely fantastic. I can't wait for it. But Luton, for me, I think they've genuinely got to be taken seriously now, just like Huddersfield. Yeah, definitely. I, I did fancy Luton. I think I put them eighth in my preseason predictions because I like the summer recruitment and their recruitment is fantastic. You think 250 grand for Adebayo. Um, they brought in Robert Snodgrass this week on a free transfer. Be interested to see how he beds in. Yeah. Alan Campbell's been a fantastic pickup as well. Yeah. Um, I know I'd... I'd the- go on. No, go on, go on. I know Onya Dimmer's not really done particularly great this season, but I still think he's a good pickup for free. Yeah. Because even if they sell him, they'll make a bit of money on it. So I, I think Kaine Smith as well. He got they got him for free from Wigan. James Bree was picked off pretty cheap from Aston Villa. The the recruitment's been fantastic. Yeah, and I have them. I've just got my preseason predictions up now, and I have them in ninth. So they're not not far away from what we expected. So doing really really well. But if they do say get into that top six that'll go down as one of the biggest and best achievements in Championship history because, like you said, the budget they're working on is a shoestring. Absolutely. Um, Blackpool 4, Reading 1. Paulins Derby went very badly for, for Reading after they did take the lead in this one. Lucas Yao with his fourth goal in a week um, with the opener, but then very soft defending, which we've you know we've come to expect from Reading. They've got the second-worst defence in, in the league. You know, you know, if Peterborough are the only team that have conceded more goals than you, you know you've had a bad de- season defensively. And then Ek Protector, um, Gary Medine, Shane Lavery and Josh Bowler. Fifth, five and seven for Bowler. Now he's really starting to add the the goals and assists to, to the performances we were already seeing. But now we've got, you know, real numbers to go behind them as well, which are really impressive. They all got on the score sheet. Um, Paul Lintz in his post-match interview said they just couldn't deal with Nadine. Yeah, he said Nadine, not Madine. So it's I know. impressive that she's <laughs> come from Spice Girls to lead the line for Blackpool. But... Um, <laughs> He was a real thorn in their side, in all seriousness, the, the physical threat he poses. And he's always flitted between League One and the Championship. I think if you're relying on him for goals, you're in trouble because I don't think he's a prolific goal scorer that you can base your team around 
in the Championship. But I certainly think he's good enough to be a squad player that can offer a different kind of threat. And when you have got goals from Bowler, from CJ Hamilton, from Lavery, from um, Jerry Yates, from Keshi Anderson, I think he, he can knit all that together very nicely at times. And he's been a, a really good pickup for them. They got him for free as well, I believe, after he'd left Bolton. Uh, after he left Cardiff, sorry. And his physicality was a big problem that, that Reading just couldn't deal with. I mean, you saw the way he literally like sort of leaned around Michael Morrison to head them 2-1 ahead. Yeah, they, he's been a really good uh, really good pickup, and he's done well this season, Gary Middy. He's come on stronger as the season has developed. And I think Blackpool, I mean, I know they've had a bit of a sticky patch of late where they've been kind of win one, draw a couple, lose one, win one. But in the grand scheme of things, they, they've had a terrific season. They really have. They've done so, so well. So obviously been out of the championship for quite a few years and had to work their way back. And Neil Critchley's done a terrific job so far, it must be said. And starting to score some goals Josh, now as well after beating are, um, Bristol City three 0 at home in the last home fixture. Yeah, they, they are putting the ball in the back of the net. And just just actually looking at the stats now, you've got to go back to the 11th of December for the last time actually Blackpool failed to score in a league game. So they are scoring consistently. So they they do make life hard for opposition and. And Josh Bowler, I mean, he he's the main man at the moment, isn't he? He's in, in dazzling form, really, really took his goal well at the weekend and just continued to go from strength to strength to Blackpool. It's just now about finding a little bit more consistency because obviously they'd, they'd gone four games without a win prior to the weekend, but they'd only lost two of them, a couple of draws in there. So it's just a case that they could find that consistency just to keep them going and keep things going steadily till the end of the season. But their home form has been very, very impressive and when you think back to what they were like in the last championship season in 2014-15, obviously on that absolute beach of a pitch, and it was horrendous. It's probably the worst pitch the football league's ever seen. It's remarkable how far things have come and how things have changed for the better at that club on and off the pitch. So really pleased to see them doing well. And I think for them now, the fans are going to be worried about keeping hold of Josh Bowler in the summer because they had a job in January. So that's probably what they're worried about now. But at the minute, they're going to enjoy the ride. They've been terrific. They've been a great advert and a, a really good entertainment for the Championship this season and really pleased for them because the fans have had to put up with a lot of rubbish down the years. Given that they're pretty much safe, I'd imagine the fans are sort of groaning when by, by every goal that Bowler scored. <laughs> yes, they can probably <laughs> add another million onto the price tag, but I think they'd rather keep him if we're being completely honest. I'm sure they would. Final game, Nottingham Forest 2, Bristol City 0. Uh, Brennan Johnson again, the star. Bit of a dive in the first half, which uh, which didn't go down too well. Well, it was the second half, sorry. A bit of a dive prior to his goal. But then, nice skill, ball roll, uh, and a, a fine finish, albeit a, a big deflection that took it past Daniel Bentley, who was very good again. And after two draws, although it's kept the unbeaten run going, a big and important win for, for Nottingham Forest to just keep going with that playoff race. There's so many teams in around there that, you know, a couple of draws are actually bad results at this point now if you're trying to get in that top six, especially when, you're playing catch up like Forest have been after the you know the the awful start to the season. One point four two xG to the zero point two four of Bristol City, so well dominant and well deserving of their win and a, a, an important win as well. And uh, James Garner continuing to earn plaudits as well in the centre of midfield. I don't think any of us would have expected Ryan Yates to struggle to get in this team, but at the minute he's he's been on the bench for a few because they've sort of got twelve starters to get in the team. And it's either Zinconag or Colback or Garner or Yates that misses out. And they sort of rotate those four. But most recently, it's sort of been a Garner-Colback midfield pairing and Zinconag playing is the number 10 behind Brennan Johnson and uh, Keenan Davis. Yeah, and 
like you say, for Forest, it was kind of a win that they needed. They just, not really had a blip, but I think obviously with the Bournemouth game being postponed, it obviously kind of took a game away from them where they lost a little bit of ground, got a point at Preston in the week. So in, in that respect, they, they've done all right. I mean, three clean sheets in four now, really, really good going. And he's just keeping them in there, isn't it? I don't think they can be discredited at all. They're still firmly in this race. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you look at the table currently, they're, they're three points off. It's not exactly a, a million miles of gap to make up, is it? But when you look ahead to what they've got, Sheffield United up next Friday night, Bramall Lane, that is a huge game. Absolutely huge game for both clubs and it should be a cracking one, it must be said. But when you've got players like Brennan Johnson who can produce moments of magic in the blink of an eye, James Garner as well, you're always in with a chance and that's what you've got to remember with this Forest side. They've got talent in abundance and they have come such a long way in a short amount of time under Steve Cooper. And yeah, they've had a little bit of a sticky patch, like you said. At the, like you said, it was a big win for them at the weekend, but they've lost four games since Steve Cooper took charge. That's it. They've only lost three times since October. So it really does speak volumes of just how well they have been going. Only one defeat this calendar year as well. So yeah, looking good for Forest. Obviously, still in the FA Cup as well, which will only breed confidence if they progress in that. Absolutely. Only one draw in the Championship this weekend, with West Brom playing Swansea on Monday night, and um, that was Coventry one, Preston one. Stunning goal from Fabio Tavares uh, to earn a point for Coventry. But it was a point they probably didn't deserve. Preston missed quite a lot of chances before they eventually took the lead after a penalty from Daniel Johnson. Two red cards. Um, no complaints on Darbo's, really. He's just pushed him in the back when he's through on goal. And Lindsay's maybe a tiny bit harsh, but um, I don't think he can have too many complaints either. So uh, Ryan Lowe will be frustrated they didn't take the chances before any of the sort of real action kicked off in that second half. But... A good point for Coven. They just love injury time. There's no, there's not a better love story this season than Coventry City and injury time in the Championship. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To round off this week's podcast, we're now going to do our shocks and bankers, looking ahead to the weekend action. George, what have you got? Well, I think for the banker, there's probably two or three you could have picked out this weekend, but I've got to go with Huddersfield. Flying at the minute, Peterborough at home on Friday night would be really hard to see anything but them winning that one. Obviously, Peterborough will be hoping with a full week on the train ground with Grant McCann by then it will have improved things a little bit. But I just think with the way Huddersfield are going at the minute, crowd is going to be behind them. They're flying, they're playing brilliant football. Can't see anything on Huddersfield win for that one. So that's my banker. In terms of a shock, I found it quite difficult to pick one out this week. So I've gone for Cardiff to win at QPR. QPR stuttering a little bit, mainly more away from home. But Cardiff, I thought there were signs in that Fulham performance that they are capable of hurting teams. So going to go for Cardiff this weekend to provide a bit of an upset at uh, Loftus Road. I'm going to go for my banker. I'm going to agree with you on Huddersfield against Peterborough. They're at the, you know, 17 unbeaten Peterborough, currently the worst team in the league. They are rock bottom. So, hard to really argue against that one, as boring as that may sound. And then, can I have Blackpool to win at Stoke as a shock? I know the four... Is that a shock? Can I have that? I don't know. What's the difference in in standings as we look at it now? One point between the, them. One point above them. Stoke being pretty poor at home. Yeah, mm. probably not. It's kind of scraping the barrel a little bit. Yeah, okay. I do think, but okay, but for the record, I think Blackpool are going to win at Stoke. Um, what about Luton to take something at Borough? I think you can get away with that. Borough have been very, very oh, good Luton at are above Yeah, I forget Luton are above Middlesbrough. Really? <laughs> I still think Middlesbrough would be the favourites, though, for that game. 
Well, I would have thought so because they've won seven in a row at home. Yeah, they've exactly. been very, no, very good at home. That, yeah, I think that'll be a draw. I think that could be a draw. So you went I'm, for a draw. I'm, I'm, I'm having that. Yeah, I think they'll get. I think Luton to get a point or to to get something right. at uh, at the Riverside Stadium. Considering they've won seven in a row, and Borough will definitely be the favourites. Uh, I think that's fair for that one. Um, let us know if you think I'm uh, if I'm pushing my luck a little bit when you listen to the podcast. That does mark the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast does help go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please do make sure you drop a retweet when the episodes go live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. Link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Thank you to everyone that has done. We've had a few donations in the last few weeks, so do appreciate that as always. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.